You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything. available everywhere you get your podcasts. Monster House presents... Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. This episode of Monster Talk has an explicit tag because it talks frankly about human anatomy and about the South American fish that allegedly sometimes makes visits to that same anatomy. I know for a variety of reasons that there's going to be folk who don't want to hear about this because it makes them feel squeamish, but I hope if you can stomach it, you'll stick with us because it turns out there's a lot of lessons to be learned about humans as we examine the legends surrounding this fish. Thanks. Monster Talk. Hey, did you have a pee before we left, by the way? No, I didn't. So I can have um, it if we get in the water, I surely. It's big I enough to, to accommodate say, my urine. You mustn't pee in the river. That's the key thing. Is that because a, uh, a, there's a fish here called a kangaroo fish. Have you heard of that? Oh, no, that's a urban myth, isn't it? No, no, it's true. There's a, it's about this long. Yeah. And if you pee in the water, which I'm serious, you mustn't do, yeah. it swims up your urine and into your willy. It's apparently unbelievably painful. And you have two choices. You chop your willy off uh. or... You have to get to a hospital, and given we're nowhere near a hospital here, there's only that first choice. So what I've got, I've got a couple of pieces of string, actually. So if you just, you, you just tie a knot in it. <laughs> so I've, I've done mine, but which, <laughs> which size do you need? Oi! <laughs> you, oi! I... It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. 
Oh, I am so excited to finally get to cover this topic. I first learned about the vampiric catfish back in 2012, from what I can see in my email archive. That's also the year I bought a copy of Candy Roo, Life and Legend of the Bloodsucking Catfishes by Stephen Spott. He had done a lot of research into the fish, and back in 2002, he put out this book, which covers the fish and the very disturbing single case, which allegedly confirms the folklore about it. What lore is it that I'm speaking of? Well, let's go to a clip of the show River Monsters with Jeremy Wade. I'll also include a link to that clip and to the Kandaroo book in the show notes if you want to check them out. While he was relieving himself, suddenly he said, you know, he just had a bit of a shock. And, you know, the first thing he knew was that the fish was already, you know, inside. Only, you know, just the end of its tail was out. Trying to grab hold of it, but it's a very smooth fish, a bit like a bar of soap. No good, you know, no success pulling it out, so basically just ran up onto the bank to try and get some help. A fish like this may have entered Silvio in search of a blood meal, but little did it know that its mistake would result in an unprecedented medical procedure lasting two hours. The first thought was to, a bit like um, a bit like a hook that's got a barb on it, um, actually pulling it back the way it went in is not always a good idea. He was thinking of actually sort of coming in from the side, coming in from the, from the perineum and actually trying to sort of pull the fish out head first. But he thought that because, you know, it had been such a long time in there, they would actually, and also the other fish were starting to rot a bit, maybe try and pull it out with the endoscope, you know, out tail first the way that it went in. The tail of the fish was about here, about an inch in. And so the head of it would have been somewhere like here. And then what happened was that the, the pincers were gradually you know, manipulated out of the hole here. There we go. Grabbed hold of the fish just, uh, just in front of the tail. And then the whole apparatus just gradually, gradually, very delicately moved out. Thus confirming, after centuries of speculation, that a fish has entered a human in the most intimate of places. So that clip seemed very compelling, especially when you watch the folks on screen. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. And to help us find out more, we'll be talking with ichthyologist Dr. Nathan Luhan. And hang on, because there's some big surprises in this show. Monster Talk. Tonight we're talking with Dr. Nathan Luhan, and he's the Associate Curator of Fishes at the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. His work is an effort to improve fish species identification, to better understand freshwater ecosystems, and to figure out where fish are best placed in the wonderful taxonomic tree of life. And tonight, we're going to talk to Nathan about a real yet legendary fish, the vampiric catfish of the Amazon with a reputation that may cause some of you to wither in sympathetic discomfort, the kendaroo. <laughs> Welcome to Monster Talk, Dr. Luhan. Hello, hello, hello. Glad to be with you. We're so happy to have you here. We found you through Matthew Coleman, who we interviewed a few months ago. We talked with him about the piranha, and he said you were the go-to person for this topic. So we're very excited to have you on. And just to start, how did you get into fish, fishes? How did you get into this topic? Yeah, well, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, which is the epicenter of uh, temperate freshwater diversity, and uh, grew up exploring streams, loving the you know beautiful beautiful fishes in, in Middle Tennessee. And then an aquarium store opened up near my house, and I started keeping an aquaria and falling in love with uh, 
the fishes of the tropics and uh, had the opportunity in graduate school, really my first full year of, of a PhD program at Auburn University to go to Venezuela and uh, went to the upper Orinoco, an area where very few people had collected before and found a lot of undescribed species. And that was really, uh, that, that was what really hooked me on the tropics was the opportunity to, to discover new species, to describe new species and to figure out uh, their ecological relationships and their evolutionary relationships. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Hooked. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> Pun- <laughs> it's usually Blake. Yeah. This this may be a thing. Yeah. This. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he'll school us on these fishes. Um, well, well, did, well, if you talk to Coleman, you, you you know what puns are all about. I mean, that's right. That's right. Oh yeah, the, the two of them. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> well, so, so the kangaroo is uh, it's in the catfish family. Uh, what what distinguishes? these kind of fish from other kind of fish besides the way they pair so nicely with hush puppies? Well, catfishes are an incredibly diverse group. They're about 3,500 species. They're globally distributed. Uh, there are, they're present on every continent. Uh, although there are no living catfishes on Antarctica, there is a catfish fossil from Antarctica. And that diversity has a geographical component to it. Or if you look at the, the very first, or the order of catfishes is called Siluriformes. And if you look at the very first uh, branch in the Siluriformes, in this the, the tree of all catfishes, you get a branch leading to a group of exclusively South American catfishes that includes the candrew. And this this group is called the Loricarioidea, the, the suborder Loricarioidea. And it, that includes uh, some other noteworthy catfishes, all, all of your plecos, your um, wood-eating catfishes, your naked sucker-mouth catfishes, uh, a big group of South American catfishes that are pretty ubiquitous. They're widespread. They live in all different habitats, and they have a really wide range of anatomy. Uh, so the the armored catfishes are these. The plecos are are things you're probably familiar with from from the aquarium trade. But they are the algae eaters or the glass cleaners that have these uh, bony plates on the outside. Mm-hmm. And then the cory cats, the little armored cory cats that are popular in the aquarium fish trade, are part of that group also. Well, the uh, the the kangaroo is uh, a trichomycterid, and their common name is the pencil catfishes. And the majority of them, the majority of trichomycterids are invertivores or insect feeders. They're not too unusual looking or behaving. Uh, they're they're again very widespread. But then there is a uh, a lineage of trichomycterids that has evolved into this very parasitic niche, uh, and that includes the blood feeders, the vandalines that are that are um, uh, the candrew the, the you're thinking of, and then there's another group called the stegophylines that uh, scrapes uh, scales and, uh, and, and slime coat from other fishes. They, they all sound lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. we, we want to talk about the legend of these particular fish, because mm-hmm. after the introduction that we just gave, I expect that uh, listeners are going to want to find out more about them and what's going on here and sort out some of the fact from the folklore. Because I had heard of this creature and heard some of the nasty stories that I'm sure we're going to get into and heard that they were ultimately, that that was all myth and legend. Yes, very unlikely, put it that way. Okay. <laughs> Show's over. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is the lore? I mean, like, what do people say happens? Well, yeah. So there's a legend that uh, that and and it's really um, one particular genus, the genus Vandalia, 
that people are thinking about. That's a very elongate, uh, slender uh, catfish that has um, that that shares with other members of the Trichomycteridae this presence of uh, of external teeth. So there are the teeth in the mouth, and then these catfishes have some teeth outside of the mouth around the head, and those are called odontodes. Uh, and these odontodes, they're, they're on uh, the opercular bone. So the bone that uh, opens and closes on a sunfish or a panfish that you might be familiar with, um, that bone is really modified in these catfishes and it has these teeth on the outside. And so when they open that operculum, those teeth flare out and then there's a, another set of bones that get levered out that also have teeth. So they can flare these four clusters of teeth outside of their head and lodge themselves Themselves in, into tight cavities, basically. But their norm, their normal way of living is to go into the gill cavities of other fishes, and then to to use their oral teeth to open a, a hole in an artery, and then to ingest blood, much like a leech. Uh, so they they have these this ability to attach, uh, to ingest blood, and uh, then a stomach that expands, much like a leech, and they gorge themselves on blood and then just fall off and digest that meal uh, and continue on with their life cycle. So that's, that's the, the typical way of, of life for, for one of these, one of these candrews, one of these Vandalia. Uh, now there's a legend that some of these occasionally find their way into human orifices, uh, be it the you know, male urethra, the female vagina, or an anus. This is a, a legend. And I've been a lot of places in South America, and I've talked to a lot of people who live around these things all the time and uh, never heard of any uh, first-person accounts about these. And, and it's really hard to find anyone telling a first-person story about, uh, about this happening. You know, when it does happen, it gets you know, a lot of press, a lot of attention, and there's really only one uh, case in which uh, this is this has been you know observed or purported to have happened and um, and even even involved a doctor so this is kind of an authoritative case but there's a lot you know that we can talk about with that with regard to that case that maybe lends some some doubt to whether it, it actually happened or not yeah maybe we should they sound nasty anyway even if they don't do all of the things that people say they they're do. They're not nasty at all. They're wonderful, beautiful creatures. <laughs> uh, you should look at, uh, so I've got a, a lot of CT scans of the heads of these things. I, I um, kind of got into this uh, indirectly because I, I, I wanted to understand the evolutionary diversification of a lot of these kind of, kinds of cranial modifications, these elements of the skull that are really bizarre features of, of this this group of catfishes, this big group of South American catfishes. And so to look at that better, I, I started putting them in a micro CT scanner. So I, I was a postdoc at the American Museum of Natural History for two years, and they have a, a micro CT scanner there that um, basically uh, takes thousands of x-rays, and then a computer is able to uh, assemble those two-dimensional x-rays into a three-dimensional digital model of the internal anatomy. And uh, what I found when I started CT scanning the, these was, was one, just an amazing uh, uh, skull and, and a lot of really bizarre features of the skull. But then two, a, a lot of diversity across specimens that represented undescribed species. And so it turns out that this group is, is very poorly studied from a taxonomic perspective. And really only, only just a few weeks ago, there was a paper that came out that described 
uh, nine new species of, of the genus Paracanthopoma, which is a close relative of, of Vandalia. So we're, we're always, uh, we're, we're actively discovering and describing new species in this group, partly because of the, the ability to, to visualize that internal anatomy with CT scans. And many of these are very small fishes. So anyways, I, I was uh, uh, visualizing this internal anatomy, noticing all these, these skull bones. And then with that, that digital anatomy, I can, I can then kind of model the evolution of, of this group and look at how, how many millions of years it's taken for these different groups to evolve. Perhaps we could uh, discuss this one documented case then that seems to have involved a, a kangaroo, uh, but it allegedly also involved the swimming upstream of urine legends that we've all heard about. Yeah. So is it a 1997 incidents involving a Silvio Barbosa? Yes, uh, originally known as FBC. If you look at the Wikipedia report, at least uh, the 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 name is FBC, and then uh, in the Jeremy Wade River Monsters, it uh, has him on video, and he's he's now Silvio. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you could tell us about the that story, uh, I think a lot of our listeners will have heard of it already. But if you could just kind of give us an overview of what what supposedly allegedly, happened. yeah. Well, there have been a few accounts of this, and I'm not uh, the, you know, I, I have my doubts about the account, so I, I, I don't, um, you know, I haven't studied them uh, overly to, to know, you know, what the, 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 the details are. But basically, this guy was uh, supposedly standing thigh deep in, in, uh, in the Amazon and uh, urinating, uh, uh, and while he was urinating, a, uh, uh, one of these kangaroo uh, came swimming up the urine stream and uh, in a split second was uh, buried in, in his urethra, uh, was, was deep into his urethra with only the tail exposed uh, beyond his penis. And he tried to remove it uh, with his fingers, but they slipped right off and, and it was very slippery and, um, and was unable to remove it. So ended up in the care of a, uh, I guess, a urologist, uh, as you do when you, when you have a, a, a catfish in your penis. Uh, and that urologist went in with a with a uh, what do you call it so, a, a scope and uh, endoscope I think an endoscope yeah. yes an endoscope uh, with a little pair of scissors and and I guess clipped the the spines on the catfish and and removed um, removed the catfish from his urethra and that catfish I've actually held the the jar with that catfish it is now at the uh, Brazilian Institute for for Amazonian Research in Manaus INPA. Uh, and it, it's in a jar of seventy percent ethanol and uh, and and thirty percent urine. urine. What? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, better urine than blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Uh, well, a lot of things about this. Okay, let me be clear. The man really did have a, a catfish in his penis. That's that's real. I think we. I think that's fairly safe to to say. I- I wouldn't. I don't know that that's safe to say at all. Oh, really? Okay. So even maybe that's not even safe to say. Fascinating. Okay. I I was always concerned that like it sounded plausible when a doctor says he pulled it out and has video. But again, videos can be faked, and and uh, you know I just don't know. But I tell you, a lot of it does seem suspect. Like how could a fish swim up a stream of urine that that to begin with seems entirely implausible that's the first uh first the, implausible yeah you know, the, <laughs> it, the it, first part of the story is the first implausible uh, yeah. uh aspect and, and uh-huh. it doesn't get any better from there really it doesn't i mean once you see 
a fish is trying to get in your penis, I don't care how slippery it is. I'm going to break its neck. I, <laughs> I'm not going to go, my, this fish is slippery as it slides inside me um, against my will. <clears throat> so yeah. what, what do we think really happened there then? Uh, I, I can't, I can't even, you know, speculate. Uh, I, I, I will say that bizarre things happen in the Amazon and, 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 um, and, and, and very lonely men, uh, on the river do bizarre things, uh, to, to their bodies. Um, oh. so, uh, you know, <laughs> it's taking a turn, uh, <laughs> dude, dear Lord listeners, don't ever Google images of people putting things inside their penises. Yes, do not Google, do that. not Google that. Do not Google that because you will, you will come up with images and you won't be able to unsee them. <laughs> <laughs> so you know who who knows what happened. Maybe it never happened. Maybe maybe uh, maybe he he caught one of these and thought it might be fun uh, to you know maybe he he maybe he wanted wanted uh, the the fame and fortune of of being the victim of a kangaroo attack. Mm. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure he had that. That, that lucrative, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, wanted to get in the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, people do somehow, yeah. things. Yes. Most, most fish up my penis record. That's <laughs> yeah, not not a lot of uh, competition for that one. No, no, not so much. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti, and I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Uh, That is just so interesting, though, because I do think a lot of people have accepted that that story is true. And that this this is a real thing. So this is uh, myth busting here. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, so 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 I mean, the, the Amazon is a vast, vast place, and there are lots of people living in the Amazon. Lots of people living near the water who grew up around the water and uh, swim in the water every day. 
and uh, often don't wear clothes. Yeah. And, uh, and this this doesn't happen. Right. I mean, it's, it's not an endemic not problem. Occurrence. Yeah. And so, you, you know, the, the, the millions of person days uh, uh, in, in water contact and, and then the ubiquity of these catfishes. I mean, they're quite common. They're widespread throughout the Amazonian lowlands. They're not rare. Um, in habitats like this on a beach, you can catch dozens to even hundreds of these in, 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 certain, um, in certain habitats. So, um, you know, there, there's regular opportunity for this to occur, and it doesn't occur. It just doesn't. Well, that's the other thing. The, 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 uh, the fish itself, you've seen it. It seems, I mean, I don't know how large this man's penis is, but it seems larger than a urethra would normally be. So we get into the second uh, uh, dubious aspect. Of <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. This, this, uh, the, and, and if 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 you want to go to the the video of Jeremy Wade holding this at Enpa on YouTube, you can I'll have see a link in the show Jeremy notes. Yep, Wade's, yep. You, you can see it in Jeremy Wade's hand, and and Jeremy Wade has you know a, a good sized hand. He's a he's a you know tall gentleman and and has large hands. And this this fish stretches all the way across his hand basically and uh, it's almost a centimeter wide um head uh so and and then then yeah swimming up the urine stream these things don't have they they're not the best uh, uh swimmers in in that that kind of setting and uh um and and then the width of the 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 head would not fit within what you might think of as the average size of a urethra um and then the uh, the physician involved said that he went in and clipped those odontodes that I mentioned that um, that 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 can be averted from the side of the head and and lodges these things into tight cavities. He he says with his endoscope he went in and clipped those odontodes. Well, the specimen has the odontodes intact. There's nothing clipped off the side of the head. So that, ooh that, oh that, wow that no. that didn't happen. Um, uh, if, if that, if this is the fish, you know, who, who knows, you know, mm -hmm. where, where do you draw the line on what might've happened, what did happen, um, et cetera. Yeah, so, no, so, that's, yeah. wow. I'm very excited. We're talking about this. This is great. I, and of course there is the question, I mean, you know, did a fish swim into your penis is, is a different question than can a fish fit into your penis? That it, those are two different questions. Yeah. But Indeed. but as you say, uh, I've seen the video, and it did seem like there was a lot of room in that cavity where the camera was working. And I just I find it hard to believe that was inside a human being. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe the variable there is is Silvio's unusually uh, large urethra. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I mean, I don't know if he's willing to, you know, make a three D model of the fish and see if the model will fit into his penis. I mean, there's science could apply some <laughs> techniques here. That is fascinating <laughs> to follow up on that though. Um, do we have any, I mean, I know there were some 19th century stories of these fish going into women's vaginas. Uh, and I think I, I saw one about a, a, an anus invasion. Um, but it, do, do we know if there's anything to those? I mean, lots of women swim naked in, in the Amazon area as well. Is, is, do they report this problem? That's a little bit harder. I mean, I, I would be um, more willing to accept that. I mean, you know, if, if a fish is is these do, these fish do seek uh, cavities and crevices and blood and they will uh, even as tight as you know, if you try to hold your your hand, your fingers as tight together as possible. And these fishes will be able to to 
find a way to, in between your fingers and, and wedge themselves through. Uh, so they, they do seek out tight cavities and they do try to swim into, into you know, tight places. That's just part of their, their, their life history. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, if you can imagine them finding their way into a vagina much more easily or, or even an anus for that matter than, than the end of a penis rather. So that, that could be conceivable, but at the same time, you know, I've, I don't go around uh, the Amazon asking indigenous women if, uh, if, if they've had anything swim into their vagina recently. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't have any <laughs> data. To, ethical issues there. Yeah. Uh, get on that grant proposal now. Beat, yeah. beat, yeah. beat the rush. <laughs> like... But that is interesting that there aren't any stories uh, yeah. like there are of, of men. Yeah, I, I think men are more likely to to either inflate uh, stories like this or or certainly to perpetuate stories like this than than women. Um, maybe that's just uh, uh, an aspect of testosterone. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, this story is teetering on the edge of busted as far as myths go. I I, I don't oh. want to like you know I I don't know what Silvio's story is exactly in real life, but this seems very suspect. So and I'm and I'm mm -hmm. glad you're uh, bringing these points. If it were a trial at this point, I would not find the Kandiru guilty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let it let it off. But let's talk about. I mean, these fish are adapted to a, a, a vampiric lifestyle, a parasitic lifestyle. What so what? In a normal course of life, what would these fish actually be doing? What's their behavior like? What do they normally eat? I guess go back to one of the one of the doubtful aspects of the story. So the doctor uh, suggests that this fish had had quote unquote chewed its way through the wall of the urethra, which is a very thick tissue, uh, into the patient's scrotum. So at least beyond uh, the uh, at least in the shaft of the penis, the the urethra is has a very thick wall. If you go um, uh, uh, up into the body, then the thin, then the wall gets very, very thin. But at any rate, this is a major injury if you penetrate the wall of the urethra. And and uh, and and speaking to the anatomy of these things, they just don't have this particular genus. At least Vandalia does not have the teeth to um, to, to chew like that. You know, they they have these um, these these vampire-like teeth that are that are good at uh, at at at, at you know, penetrating and, and causing uh, blood to flow, but not really uh, uh, chewing. They do have, so those are the, those are the oral teeth, or at least the, um, the mandibular teeth, the lower jaw teeth. In, in total, they have uh, nine clusters of teeth around the head. This is one of the really bizarre features of these fishes. And then their upper jaw teeth, the premaxillary teeth, are um, are are positioned more laterally uh, on on the kind of the the corners of the skull, the corners of the head, um, and they're claw-like. So it's they're they, they're almost scalpel-like, and um, and th there's a larger genus of uh, these candaroos, an undescribed genus actually, a genus that I'm working with some Brazilian colleagues on uh, on describing, um, <clears throat> and this genus we have video of them moving their head back and forth and actually opening a cavity of actually opening a hole in the side of a, of another catfish. Uh, and that's using these, these lateral teeth on the, on the sides of the head, but the, the Vandalia genus, no one's ever observed that happening in, in that genus. Um, uh, but, but that, you know, that just speaks to the ecological diversity of, of these groups. The, the Kandaroo 
kind of uh, group is is very broad, very diverse, and uh, and more than just uh, more than just this Vandalia. Um, and there there are some very small ones. Uh, there's a genus called Paracanthopoma that uh, that has a very robust head, and it actually excavates little holes in the surface of big catfishes and uh, hitches rides. We, we think it, it moves across the Amazon by hitching rides on big catfishes and then occasionally maybe swims into the gills to, uh, to have a blood meal. Uh, so that, 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 that's, kind of, that, that's what most of these, these do, at least the blood feeding group, the Vandalina. Um, they, they, um, they ingest blood, they feed into gill cavities where blood is easily accessible, available. And uh, and can open um, uh, open arteries with with uh, with these distinctive teeth and 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 then with the teeth that are outside the head erect those teeth, lodge themselves in place long enough to have a blood meal, and then and then leave, uh, drop off, go into the sand. They they're I I usually find them on on beaches, um, drawing a big net across the beach. You'll get uh, in some cases you know a few dozen of these in a in a in a 30 foot, um, 30 foot net. So I am wondering, Nathan, how common are these fish? They're, they're pretty common. I mean, uh, in, especially in big sandy beaches and big, uh, river channel habitats, uh, in the Essequibo in, in, um, in, in the Amazon throughout the, the Orinoco, um, they, they can be, you know, again, you can, you might collect a few dozen on a, on a beach with a, you know, they're usually up on beaches at night and, um, and then they're often, uh, they're resting from having a blood meal. So their guts may be very distended and bloated full of, uh, full of blood. And as soon as you handle them, that blood is, is, uh, leaking out of them from, from their mouth and, and their anus and, um, and you get blood all over your hands. Well, it's just after Thanksgiving here, so I'm familiar with that feeling. But <laughs> I mean, here we were stuffed with turkey, not blood, but gorged is gorged, right? But <laughs> yeah, you just feel like a candy candy roux after your turkey. Again, the, the diversity of these things is, is remarkable, and there are some very small ones that are just um, say three or four centimeters long. Uh, some of the Vandalia, uh, like the one that that is uh, reported to have entered this this man's. Um, uh, urethra is, I would say, 13 centimeters long around there. And then uh, the, the biggest one, it's an undescribed species, actually. Uh, I've got, I'm holding a, a jar with one in my hand. It's, it's a good centimeter wide and um, maybe 20, 20 centimeters long around there. The, the, uh, I know there's a lot of misinformation about this fish on the internet. I mean, there it's, yeah. there's so many YouTube videos that claim to be telling the true story and aren't. Uh, and I saw one today that was, was taught, yeah, because I think some people now call them the penis fish. And so they were showing a video. It was like, learn about the penis fish. And what they were actually showing was, uh, Sicilians, if I'm pronouncing that right, the big, uh, they do look like penises. Uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, but Sicilians are, are amphibians. Um, yeah. There are a lot of eel-like organisms out there. Sicilians are one, and lots of different fishes that are eel-like but not eels. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, and yeah, these, all all of these candirus are very elongate and and um, and eel-like. Yeah, but but much smaller. It looks like the candiru. I mean, I, of course, I don't actually know how big the Sicilians are. But a foot long or so. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I did want to. So my, I had a question for you, which is one hypothesis. 
about these the legend would be that the, the fish are attracted to urine. Uh, do you know if there's been any formal testing on that to see? Yeah, if it's... some people have delved into that, and uh, there's no evidence really that they're attracted to urine. And the idea behind that is that they um, they specialize on on blood feeding from gills of of of, uh, of fishes, and fishes excrete uh, urea and uh, nitrogen waste via their gills, um, uh, in, in part, at least, uh, via their gills. And so there's, there was this belief that maybe they're finding their way into gills by following that, um, that odorant, uh, that, 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 um, chemical trail, uh, leading, leading into gill cavities. Uh, but, but the limited, uh, testing that's been done, uh, the, there, there've been a few experiments, uh, uh, hasn't, hasn't supported that hypothesis. So, well, it it still even knowing that this the kindera probably don't swim into penises or probably vaginas. We you know it still feels like it would be wise to wear swimming trunks when you're in uh, Amazonian rivers or in in the Brazilian yeah. rivers. Is that does that seem sound? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever makes you feel better. I mean, I, I really don't think you're at any risk of a of a kindera attack. Um, in the Amazon again, you know, I, I've uh, I've done about uh, two dozen trips down to the Amazon a few weeks each, and uh, and collected a lot of these, swam around these, um, and and never felt uh, never felt uh, threatened or or at risk. Uh, nor did anyone <laughs> around me who had who had lived um, lived in those settings and, and grown up in those settings. That's very comforting. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see you doing that anyway, but. Well, that's also also true. <laughs> there, there's really there's really only one fish in the Amazon that people are are uh, are universally and genuinely afraid of, uh, and that's stingrays. Um, people watch where they step. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was not what I thought right. you were going to say. Okay, what what what? what, what well, I th- I thought he was going to say that people are universally scared of piranha, but we've already debunked that in a previous episode. <laughs> yeah, the electric eel. I mean, if you're in the right habitat where there are electric eels, you know they're they're worthy of respect. Uh, usually, you get a little bit of a warning, a little bit of a tingling sensation, and uh, and you know to back up. Wow. And and uh, uh, but the electric eel, you know, or the rather the stingrays. Uh, when you step on a stingray, and, and if you get nailed by a stingray, then then um, it, it's uh, it's pretty bad news, you know. So it's it's not. It, is it worse than just the piercing wound? Is there like a venom involved? Uh, there is a venom involved, and uh, and there are uh, there's a high likelihood of infection. So if you're not treated uh, frequently, these wounds get infected. Um, and, Yikes! Uh, and and you know, again, without treatment, lead to the loss of a of a foot uh, or, or you know severe wow. damage necrosis uh, of the calf uh, yikes oh, well nathan this has been a fascinating conversation is there anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, catfish or kangaroo just any other interesting tidbits about them uh well, I mean, we we really don't know. You know, the, these uh, these catfishes, they're they're blood feeders. They're not the only blood feeding organisms out there. Of course, there are vampire bats, uh, there are mosquitoes, um, and most the lawyers. What lawyers? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and most of these, uh, there are special chemicals that uh, prevent the coagulation of blood, and that's advantageous because if you've if you've ingested a big blood meal, you don't want it turning solid, you know, in your gut. And, and even less so if you're a fish and you're trying to move, uh, maintain flexibility of your body and you've, you've got this big bloated stomach. 
Um, and and so it seems likely that uh, that that these uh, catfishes have uh, some form of anticoagulant. But uh, to my knowledge, no one's looked at it yet, and it's uh, kind of an exciting um, possibility. It's something I'm starting to look into um, to see if there's any genomic uh, indication of of, um, uh, of anticoagulant proteins uh, or enzymes uh, in in the gut. Um, so that you know, there may even be a, a medical application for these fish. Yeah, that'd be that cool. That is interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, my God, this was an efficient interview. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So informative and, and yeah. Serious. I mean, this Surprising. is and the culmination of a decade trying to get someone to come talk to us about this. This is so great. I really appreciate it. <laughs> One other thing I was going to mention too, and, and I've got a video that uh, that shows this. Um, if, you know, you can describe it or you can post it to your webpage. I don't, I don't really care, but uh, the, these uh, the the Vandalia you can hold in your hand uh, without problem without you know them uh they might leak blood on you but they're not going to draw blood from your hand their teeth again are not big enough to even pierce the skin on on your hand but this undescribed genus we're working on that seems to be restricted to the main channel of the amazon and, and feeds probably exclusively on really big prey items big catfishes maybe even freshwater dolphins um, they have uh, a much more serious and formidable bite. And uh, I was handling um, a, a, a species that we're going to put in this genus now called Plectrochylus diabolicus. Uh, <laughs> they're, 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 they're in the Western Amazon. And I was collecting them in Ecuador and uh, handling these things. They immediately draw blood. Uh, they and and they have uh, a more formidable jaw system that uh, that allows them to penetrate you know the skin on your hand, and um, I, you know in many respects are are much more impressive and fearsome than the Vandalia that mm. people uh, are that that legend says is you know more uh, more scary and and uh, um, poses greater risk. But uh, the, this undescribed genus that uh, that is really there are very few of these in collections. And they're rarely encountered because they're, in, again, in the main channel of the Amazon. Um, they're, they're a much scarier beast. And I'm really looking forward to, to describing this new genus with uh, Mario Depena from the University of Sao Paulo in, um, oh. in Brazil. You have to come back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it also sounds like, you know, ichthyology is a, a field where there's plenty left to be discovered if you want to name some things. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to our closure question. I okay. hope you've had a little chance to think about this. Um, we'd like to ask all our first-time guests, what's your favorite monster? Man, it's got to be uh, the alien from Aliens. Uh, just the biology behind that. The the movies were amazing. They really uh, uh, stoked my imagination uh, growing up, uh, watching Aliens first and then going back and watching the original but uh, uh, amazing cinematic creatures, and and uh, and then you know the whole ant and um, hive, the the queen, um, the, again the biology behind uh, behind these, I thought was really fascinating. Uh, so yeah, definitely the definitely well, the alien. That's so funny because during the interview when you were describing the jaws on the kangaroo. I told Kieran in our private chat over here that I thought this is totally reminding me of the xenomorphs from Aliens. So that's really funny. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> Can understand there, the fascination. There are, <laughs> there, there are some fishes, particularly eels, that uh, that have uh, that can. So all fishes have throat jaws. These jaws that are back in the throat, they're called pharyngeal jaws. It's one of the distinctive. Um, 
features of, of fish is generally they, they, they capture food with their oral jaws, the mouth, and then they process food with their, their throat jaws, the pharyngeal jaws. Well, there are some eels that can actually uh, project those throat jaws into the mouth and, uh, and, and, um, um, and take those food items back into the throat, very much like the, the xenomorph. Yeah, I've always been curious about the, the goblin shark, too. I wasn't sure what was going on with that exactly. Yeah. But it, it certainly looks like something from a space movie and, and less like something that I ever want to see in real life, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a lot of fodder here for, for new shows. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. I really, I, I it's really yeah. hard to state how much I appreciate this. Thank you, Nathan. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for your time, Nathan. Have a good night. Yes, indeed. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard an interview with ichthyologist Dr. Nathan Luhan discussing the candy roo of South America. This interview surprised me in so many ways. On the one hand, I knew I'd learn a bunch of new stuff about these very interesting blood-sucking catfish, but what I didn't expect was how well this story of Silvio Barbosa and the catfish that allegedly swam up his penis would fit with the kinds of stories we routinely hear about monsters. I mean, a blood-sucking catfish isn't a Bigfoot, but there's a lot to learn here. On the clip of the show from River Monsters, Silvio looks sincere and helpful. Jeremy Wade presents the story uncritically and very compellingly. And if you dig no further than this TV show, it would be very easy to leave with the strong impression that this is an absolutely true story. We've talked before about how Karen and I like to approach any strange tale with a presumption of sincerity on the part of the claimants, but with the toolbox of skepticism and critical thinking ready to be put into play when it's time to decide if we actually believe the story or not. Could a catfish, like the specimen alleged to have been removed from this man's urethra, actually fit inside a human penis? Maybe. It's unfortunately quite surprising what people have managed to insert into their penises, and I cannot emphasize this enough, I do not encourage you to go image searching on that. But could this little fish swim up a stream of urine and then lunge itself inside a penis while the victim was standing outside the water? I'm extraordinarily sure that the answer to that is a resounding no. People routinely urinate into the river, and out of the vast number of people who do this all the time, only this one man had the poor fortune to find himself with a fish invading him? Hmm. And then there's the matter of the fish itself does not have the anatomical damage alleged by the surgeon who says he removed it. Given that he videotaped the internal process of the surgery, it seems strange to make a mistake about what was done to remove the fish, yet these parts that were allegedly damaged during the removal remain intact on the specimen in the jar. All in all, what we have here is a story told by people who seem sincere and certain, yet the evidence provided does not comport with or support the narratives they're giving. It's probably due to the incredibly litigious world that we live in, along with the social consequences of calling someone a liar, that few people call out such stories as lies. But what should we call it if not a lie? Implausible seems like a weak word. Impossible comes more to mind. Yet for some folks, just knowing that there are people who stick by their story, it's enough to make them believe. Did Silvio have a fish surgically removed from his penis? Maybe. Did a fish swim up a stream of urine and embed itself into his penis? Definitely not. 
What we have here is a bit of folklore about a real fish that can be used to scare outsiders and can be used by outsiders to mock locals. The legend that Stephen Fry told about that I shared during the introduction reveals another piece of the folklore. That all along the Amazon, men keep some twine handy so that they can put a knot around their penis before urinating into the river. It's a persistent legend and used there as a joke. But it's a legend that really makes no sense if you give it more than a moment's thought. If they were going to risk penetration by a catfish when they tried to pee in the water, why would they not just go pee on shore or into a container? It's absurd. The kangaroo is a fascinating fish. If you're another fish in the same water, it might even pose a threat to you. But like most parasites, it wants to use its host, not necessarily kill it. Overall, I think we can dismiss the risk that the candy root poses of invading your private areas if you visit their territory with absolutely no strings attached. Check out our Monster Talk merchandise at monstertalk.org forward slash store where you can find a variety of cool products to show that you're a next level monster enthusiast. Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as... The Accidental Creative, and, and, The Sit-Down. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you for making us a part of your listening life. a Monster House presentation. I don't think I'm the one in danger here, considering the sad fact that right below you flows the mighty Amazon, teeming with the most gruesome fish to ever... The piranha? No. The shark? No. The piranha? No. And shut up. This isn't a quiz. Now, where was I? Right. <clears throat> the dreaded Candiru, a naughty little fish with a penchant for swimming up a man's urethra. To feed on the damaged tissue of the pitiful mass of flesh you once called your penis! That is a total myth. There is no such fish. It's two. No, there isn't! Time out.